Hi, I'm Adrian Ramsey. And firstly, I'd like to say thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Talk Design was created from my fascination of what creates great design. When you consider the world, you realize that everything is either designed by man or by nature. Designers have a massive impact on how humans live. Every moment I spend with design thinkers, I come away richer for the experience. And I wanted to share my passion to dig deeper, to talk about design with architects, inventors, artists, business people, about what inspires them, their design secrets, and how they find design inspiration. Having lived a life of design myself, training others in innovation and creating for others, I see huge value in sharing creative stories. I hope you enjoy the insights and passion my guests hold for life and design. And if you're in the world of creating design, that these stories inspire you. Thanks again. Australian businesses are navigating uncharted waters and taking unnecessary financial risks. At Vital Edition, they work with businesses to provide outsourced financial support in cost-effective ways. From entrepreneurs, startups and SMEs, they become your most valuable partner. Visit vitaledition.com.au to find out if they are able to help your business navigate COVID-19 safely. vitaledition.com.au, where there is strength in numbers. My guest today on Talk Design is Danielle Powersilk. She's a fashion designer from New Zealand who specializes in bespoke fashion. And I'm going to talk to her about her journey in fashion as well as what's coming next. So, Danny, tell us a bit about yourself. <laughs> so, I've been designing for over 10 years now, mainly bespoke, as you say. We designed to flatter the woman's figure, really flattering, sexy pieces, sort of luxury essentials for the modern woman. Nice, nice. In that little piece there, and one of my questions that's going to come up is, um, I'm going to throw the question in now. I was going to put it in later, but I'm going to throw it in now, which is, why is your fashion sexy? And how do your designs embody sexiness? Great question. I love this question. So sexiness definitely comes from the woman wearing it, which would be a really important part of it. It's also the fabric that you choose, the design and the way it's cut, the way that it fits the female's figure. And that, yeah, did I answer that really wrong? <laughs> oh, not at all. I think that that's so true. It's like, it, it's, um, I think often people think of something being sexy as being minimalist. And I mean, you've got Italian background and Middle Eastern background. Lebanese and Sicilian, part terrorist, part mafia, but I'm completely harmless. <laughs> so, you know, like you'll see, um, and, and this happened with the COVID thing, you'll see a woman who's wearing a mask and in Middle Eastern, some of the Middle Eastern countries, you know, you'll see them with their covered. And the only part that is visible of them might be their eyes. And in some cases, their hair and stuff like that. And there can be this amazing um, sexiness about that just simple connection. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's not always about being able to see everything. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot that said how how the woman feels as opposed to their feeling radiates and how they're seen as well because mm -hmm. i know with my background in swimwear um i could do a really really amazing sexy looking swimsuit on let's say there's 10 women two of them it would be sexy on and the others they would be dying in it yeah and and that's the same for fashion every yeah and it, it, it's got to be an embodiment, I think, and that's so um, important. And they've got to want it just like, and then you can deliver it. You can. If they feel good in it, they will feel sexy and they will feel empowered and anybody will pick up on that. And you don't, as you say, need to be shown at all for that. And sometimes just giving that small hint 
can be the sexiest thing alive because it would make your brain go wild because you're just like, whoa, like this person has such a um, confidence and, um, you know, love for their body and they, you know, they're fully covered. So yes. love that. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I always think of Coco Chanel and, um, you know, sort of like the, uh, you just put on red lipstick and dark glasses kind of style of, um, of that. And, I mean, we named our youngest daughter Coco after Coco Chanel. So, and, and with that look, you know, she's like, I don't have to show you everything. I already got it. That's it. I own this. I own this. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I love that. Okay. So then in your, um, in your fashion journey, tell me about that. Tell me what happened. What was the moment that you knew that this was about to be your journey? And then what's happened since then? I always had a strong interest in fashion from a young age. And I would always look up to a lot of actresses and women. I remember being 12 and looking at pictures of Dita Von Teese and these incredible um, uh, burlesque costumes and just the way that she dressed in general. And obviously Penelope Cruz from then, um, Selma Hayek, Monica Bellucci. And so, once I saw these women and a new world that was available to me that I wasn't raised in, I knew straight away that I wanted to, one, be a woman like that and just the fascination with uh, sexy um, women's wear and the way fabrics fall and fit, it definitely started that way. And so... You finished school and what happened? How did you get to that part where you actually started making clothing that you were selling as opposed to making clothing maybe that you weren't selling? Um, and then you, you, would, you, you would remember this moment in your journey as well, just like I do. When you first ever saw somebody wearing your clothing that you didn't know was going to be wearing it. Love that, yeah. So I actually first started selling in school, but it was it was an accident. At, at, at the time, I just wanted to, at the time, I didn't really like any other subjects. I just liked creating beauty. So that was where my heart and passion was. And I ended up doing a show when I was at New Zealand Fashion Week when I was 18. And wow. I had a lady come up to me straight after the show and she asked by the coat that I designed that I showed and that threw me because one, I was 18 and two, for me at that stage, um, it was, it was just a fun hobby. It wasn't something that I thought I would make a career in because at the time, you know, teachers and parents and people are, putting, you know, saying to you that you're never going to make money in the creative industry. How are you going to make it as a fashion designer? We've already got, I'd have people um, saying to me, we've already got, you know, um, Karen Walker and... Um, Louise Cooper, da, da, da. Yeah. Why do we need you? And at that time, as soon as, it was funny, Adrian, the more people told me not to do it, the more people were saying things to me like that, I was like, no. There's plenty of room in the world for all of us, even if we all are fashion designers. And there's something for everyone, so I'm going to do it. So I remember at the time at Fashion Week when that lady offered to buy my coat and I just had to quickly pull a price out of my head. I was like, hey, design, how much do you want to be? Okay, $2,000, let's try to sell it. 2K, sold. So, and I remember at that stage, I was like, oh gosh, um, everything I'm making now at 18, people want to buy. I'm just doing high school briefs because we weren't allowed creative freedom then. Um, and then I obviously broke that rule. Um, <laughs> and we'll come I, back to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, then uh, obviously seeing, I can't remember the first time seeing someone wearing one of my designs, but obviously now I am making and creating orders all the time. So I'm getting clients. I just recently did a beautiful, my first ever maternity dress for this really gorgeous woman in LA and um, super sexy woman, like love her. And 
the brick because she's a sexy woman i was like well someone needs to do a sexy maternity dress do you think anyone in the world does that i haven't seen one so i went i'm gonna do it so um i i knew that i needed a two-way stretch material for rachel so ticked that off the list i wanted something that showed cleavage because if i was pregnant and feeling big i'd want to highlight my good parts because i have this massive belly and um i wanted something fitted with a twist detail down the front bodycon you know maxi that you can wear heels with sleeveless like a maternity gown and i went okay what color am i going to do it oh white yeah white's cool purity kind of a bit bridal and then thought "Hmm, what other color can i do and i went how was the baby made oh she would have been naked let's do nude presented that idea she loved it we did it in nude and it looks stunning and um love it (laughs) that's that's gorgeous what a fabulous story what a fabulous (laughs) like segue of yeah of of, you know you're starting out at school being controlled about what you can do yes breaking the boundary yeah no limit and and then where it goes and then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden your creative skills are um they're working with the other person that they're, they're, they're for them. I'm, I'm going to come back to two. Oh, there's one point and then there's another point. I'm going to come back to the other one, which is breaking the rules. The other one was, um, or bending them. And the other one was so why bespoke design. Why bespoke as opposed to doing a collection that's ready to wear that you just buy off the shelf? Great question. I love both, and I actually do both. The, the bespoke and the custom give the client the opportunity to work one-on-one with me and have something completely unique that no one else has. And when a client is paying a higher price uh, for something that is high-end, a lot of them do want fashion that no one else has that they can put their own personal touch on with me and then they also know that it's made to measure and it fits them like a glove and they feel a million dollars in it i the another reason why i started with bespoke is because when i was starting out as a designer it was very hard for me to source materials that i loved to put a cohesive collection together and you may have an initial idea and then you get five looks into the collection and then you can't find other materials to to finish it. And I'm being 100% honest with that one because if I had more fabric uh, fabric options even now, I would be pumping out um, ranges all the time. But I actually don't. So instead of looking at that as a negative, I went, why don't I do smaller collections and have uh, them be more exclusive mm-hmm. and then just add in new arrivals whenever we want to. So, yeah. so that's what I'm focusing on now. And we are, most of the fabrics that I am sourcing that I do love are from Italy. They're from a mill in Como who do couture fabrics. So they're almost like, they feel amazing. They're almost like pieces of art, but now, obviously, because I'm in New Zealand, um, I'm really getting into lifestyle luxury pieces as well. Stretch fabrics, comfort, easy to wear, suiting. We do everything. So Awesome. Awesome. Don't you love Como? <laughs> I haven't been to Italy. Oh, my God. Oh. I know. Um, <laughs> it, it, is a, it is a journey. Like, in my swimwear days... I've only seen I've only seen George and Amal Clooney's house, like, and them like sailing past on the lake. Oh, look! Seriously, <laughs> it, it, it's the most fabulous little town, kind of at the bottom of the lake, and it's got like a cable car. So if I'm looking out at the lake, over on the right hand side, there's a cable car that takes you up to the top of the hill. Mm-hmm. But the, the town sort of runs back up the valley a bit, the main town, and right on the front there's a, a square and it looks across to the water. And if you were to walk out to the square and go right, you would walk around to, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like a district of town that goes off and just parties all night long. That's amazing. That's where the cable car kind of goes up around that area as well. And that's where a lot of the boats and stuff leave from is down that way. 
And the square on the left-hand side of the square, if you're looking out there, I don't know whether it's still there. I haven't been in years. There was a hotel called the Metropolitan Suisse. And um, when I was working in the fashion industry, I used to go there all the time to put um, collections into work of fabrics. So I would design prints mainly. So I would take either artworks that I'd found for prints or I'd design something with the designers. So it was unique to us. And um, then you'd go out to the mills, which were out in the print houses, which were out of in the Como district. But yeah. it is a place, we'll have to go there. It's a place that you so fall in love with that bites you. You know, it's, it's a bug. It bites you and, and it will never leave you. Um, and when you were talking, I was thinking, I used to go to... Um, and I can't remember the name of the fair, but the big fabric fair in um, in Paris. Premier Vision. Yeah, of course, Premier Vision. So I used to go to Premier Vision and um, often just for inspiration because we weren't dealing at that bespoke end. Um, but, and then in other cases, we'd be buying bits as well yeah. to just bring back. Have you been Premier Vision? I was meant to go this year. Oh, this yeah, <laughs> so it's going to be my first trip because a lot of the suppliers that I source fabrics, fabric from show at Premier. Of course. And, yeah. and the reason I like dealing with them is because they let me buy, uh, they have smaller minimum order quantities. You can buy a roll, you can buy 10 metres, 15 metres. Yeah. 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 And they also, um, they are the same companies that are creating the fabrics that are exclusive to say Hermes or something. Yeah, top the top. I'm going to introduce you to a girl. Um, her name's Wena Preve, and um, she is a illustrator. And she illustrates for companies like Hermes and the Savoy and all those kind of things. She's from Houston, Texas. She's actually half French and half English. Um, but I will. I'll make sure I introduce you to Wena. Um, and she's she's young and she's brilliant so you, you, you'll get on great <laughs> and she's beautiful she's like she's got it all she's um she's a very clever girl very very clever girl um okay so i want to go back to you were quoted once saying that you bend the rules um or that bending the rules is okay tell me about bending the rules so obviously the first thing with fashion is hey you're a fashion designer now you now have to design seasonal collections and you have to be in line with the retail calendar and i went hold on i don't want to do that so that was my first rule break so for me uh even without what we're doing for our new line of work um we I went, no, I'm going to go seasonless. And then, and then as soon as I decided to do it, I saw a Business of Fashion article and it was Gucci has now gone oh, seasonless. Yeah. And I went, great, that's where it's at. We have air, condition, air, air, conditioning, air conditioning everywhere we go and heating. And we don't need layers and layers and layers now for me to actually put together a big heavyweight winter collection. It's not necessary. And a lot i find a lot of clients at the moment they're all buying neutrals so they all want black white nudes classic it's, why is that it's why is that to be for me and my clients i'm it's actually the cool girl it girl look it is it is just it's it's the cool thing to do if you want to be you know you know neutrals it's it's where it's at <laughs> interesting like i do um you can still make you can still wear color and be cool but a, a, a big uh, i feel like a lot of people's wardrobes now are definitely more on that neutral classic color palette definitely and then the gold jewelry <laughs> oh yeah of course gold yeah <laughs> I, I do i do um some trend forecast forecasting especially across the um, architectural interior space and um, I do some I, I run some training courses in it and actually about how to read a trend is is part of what I do with it and one of the things that's fascinating with that is I I see and not just because of COVID but I see also that what something that's happening is 
is that we've gone into a very, um, uh, and I think it's the year 2000, this is the reason why, we've gone into a more sensuous um, feminine energy shape, but feminine needs to be empowered, not, um, I want to say not powerful, but not, it, it's, a, it's a gentle power, it's a, it's a woman's power, it's true woman's power, as opposed to being a, um, a forceful power. And it's all about this, like a lot of sensuous shapes that we're seeing in architecture as well, lots of screening and stuff that gives us part vision of things that all, all this kind of thing is part of what is, I see as a part of where we're going. And of course, with it become the neutral tones and then in the interior design industry in the last eh, probably about five years, we've been trending towards more terracottas and stuff, but all in the nudes all in these soft leather tones and very soft and gentle, um, which are incredibly feminine. And then you contrast them with blacks and whites and even creams and, you know, cream and white contrasting together as well. Um, And I see this and I love the parallel between um, what happens in fashion and what happens in, um, in fashion for interiors. And then also how that's changed in the bigger picture from cars to architecture, to, um, you know, all kinds of different levels where it touches us. Um, technology does it. You just got a rose gold phone. You know, it, it's technology things. And, and the whole gold piece, uh, that, that whole gold, um, growth of gold again. I mean, I'm old enough to have been there once before. You're, you're in your first, like, history of it. And those kind of things fascinate me, those kind of things. And, and then when you're talking about that, and about how um, it makes people fit with a time as well as everything else. So whilst it's timeless, it also fits right in this moment. With all the neutral color palette for fashion, it's, it's in the interiors, you know, that, and then it's in, you know, um, the, the technology, all of it. So it, it's, um, it is, what happens is, is it kind of drops through. And, and when I was in the clothing trade, one of my things that I used to do was, and this became my love of, um, of the sportswear company, Nike, was... Do you wear Nike? I, no, no, no. I, I would have gone work there if they'd ever asked me, but they never asked me. No, <laughs> I never tried. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that they did is they approached sportswear in probably in the 90s um, and, and even the late 80s from a fashion designer's point of view. So they used transparency and they used lace looks and they used all these different things, but in a sports mode. And you could look at all the other shoe companies and you'd go, well, nobody is playing anything like they are. And then if you looked at computers and you go back to when um, Jobs did the, the Mac with the clear backs on them and they were green and pink and blue and yellow or something but when they did that that again was like this transparency and then you saw all those layers of transparency in the year um for the year 2000 um i was working with a group of people in italy who create i shouldn't say they create trends they do but they don't they choose what what is what people are going to see so they they are they are um creating what we will see next so in 1999 i was in italy in milano and uh i I was sitting with these group of about three guys and um highly mind-blowing in my case like and they were talking about how the millennium would be like um, a virgin, it'd be like a virginal start. It would be, we would be white, we'd be transparent, we would be, um, it was a fresh move for a new century. And so all these different images of what, what would be termed as, I suppose, virgins. So you'd have like your Greek woman and their big white flowing robes and stuff, just absolutely amazing and then they showed it to me from makeup to cars to 
fabrics to technology to fashion. They showed it to me across all these different genres of what we were going to see. And now looking back 20 years ago, I can see how that journey played out. And I did some work with them for the next couple of years where I would just be like, um, I, was the, I was from the Antipodes, um, where they would, where we'd talk on the phone, they'd contact me and, and we'd talk about what was happening, why it was happening and um, how things were changing. Um, and what was my outlook on those kinds of things as well. So yeah, it was a really fascinating time in my life. And when you're talking about it, I'm going, well, okay. You, you have an innate ability to see the trends and to actually influence and, and, and create within them. That's a, yeah, a beautiful thing. It's, like, it's a gift. It's a gift. And it's, it's yeah, it's really powerful. But yeah, the, let me think of another. I want the three biggest highlights on your fashion journey to date, apart from selling your coat for a couple of thousand dollars, which I am in love with that. <laughs> I know it was a great coat too. Um, that was obviously before I knew even how to cost. So that was hilarious. I would just um, be, be cool. Just put a price on it. Um, and that's, and when you start, you, you, you are still learning. And I think, um, you know, and even now I'm always, ah, well, yeah, I mean, definitely an expert in my field, but you're still always evolving there's still something to learn but that's why i love it because i'm never bored ever um and there's always something to create and put your own um sort of signature or, or twist on it and um just enjoy it and to be honest adrian for any career that i had i was like i need to be happy and enjoy it and i do so if we talk big milestones vogue yeah, so the Vogue features that I've had have been incredible. We're hoping for a lot more as soon as we release our new product line. So I do have a collection that will be up in the next two to three months. So that's really exciting. So Vogue and the highlight is what we're actually producing now that's hidden. Um, and it's so hard for me to keep it all hidden. I wore a pair of white high-waisted flared trousers for my birthday that are in the range and three of my friends said to me straight away as soon as they're available I'll order them so just like that that I just need to wear it and boom and I knew it, it's just they're, they're the best pants I've ever made the cut the fit I the want fabric. the fabric I want to do them in black and camel um <laughs> yes yeah, that's really cool. So that would have been that the, the highlight is Vogue, what we've got coming. And then, um, yeah, to be honest, just my clients, because I'm continuously growing a client network and connecting with women and meeting more women that I click with because we've got the same style. We, we you know, we're, my designs now, I'm doing everything in variety because everyone is different, but I love to create things for women who have everything to show and they like to be seen. They, they want that, um, that sex appeal, that luxury and, um, you know, it's like being professional yet sexy at the same time. And for me, that's, I, I love that. And it's not, it's not for everybody. And no. I understand that, but, and I'm not saying to be a woman and to be sexy, you have to be like this, but um, I'm just doing, I'm just creating what I think is sexy and then uh, taking inspiration from the woman that I look up to and sort of putting it all together. And how do, um, well, I'm going to put your details and stuff on the on the website at the end, so people can contact you. But how do you, how do the client how are your clients finding you? What where how do they other than magazines and maybe Fashion Week stuff? How do they find you? How do the bespoke people find you? Old fashioned, the best PR in the world, word of mouth. And I, if you are good, you will get repeat business. You will get clients yeah. and. As I said, our new product, we're, we're actually doing a e-boutique. And so it's basically an e-commerce shop. And we're going to have on, on our new website, video footage, 
next to each piece with the model walking. Um, so you can see it on a body because for me, it's really going that extra mile and, and showing people um, uh, what it looks like on because that's the first thing you want to know. And so many clothes look okay, you know, off, but on the hanger. incredible on. So yeah, uh, as I said, at, at, that's why I was a bit, uh, I, I was a bit embarrassed to do a, a, a interview at the moment because with the virus, our new website isn't up at this stage, but okay. it's coming. I think that um, fashion is such a, a fun and exciting genre because it's fast moving. Mm. And in saying that, classic fashion is forever. Mm. Um, you know, like you could have a, a jacket or a, anything actually, a suit or anything that if it's beautiful, you could wear it for 20 years or more, 30 years, 40 years, um, because it was beautiful when it started and it's beautiful, you know, until it wears out. Mm. And I think that there's this uh, a lovely thing about fashion is, is you can have what's a bit faster and that's your, your seasonal stuff. And then you have your, your rocks, you know, the pieces that that jacket will work through these nine collections because, and, and we might update it. We might do those things, but like, we don't need to necessarily because that jacket's still just the great jacket. It's, it's not quite a forever thing. I watched some TV shows and um, they will be history type shows. And I'm always fascinated looking at what people wore, say 25 or 35 years ago um, and how we've changed things along those lines. And I remember um, back in the year, Oh, goodness. Around the year 2000, just before, I was working with Canterbury of New Zealand and um, I was working with the All Blacks a lot, as well as a lot of other international rugby teams. And um, I headed up all of design, so I was, like, in touch with these different parts of the business. And I had drawn um, all these tight-fitting, uh, different different um jerseys for different positions on the field so that some would be slippery some would be easier to grab some would be you know not in a tackle but in um in a ruck or a mall or if you were um in a in a, a scrum and so each garment became specific to a position and it took probably about another three or so years um, probably five from when I drew them from when I stopped, it took about three years to, to for those that became the thing. That's what, how they're all dressed now. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was that thing about function meets, um, like that, sorry, form meets function, form, form meets the function. And in your business, the same, you know, like we'll go through periods of, lot softer and flowier and more structured but when you've got no seasons like you're saying you Everything. can play yeah it gives it, it means like I, it means I can offer variety in every single thing I do and offer you know classic offer street like couture street you know yeah. lifestyle, um you know hot mum weekend wear whatever I want to do I can do it so it's um yeah it's great it's really exciting it's yeah. really exciting. It's, it's, it's like a lot of playtime. Yeah, that's what it's like for me because it's just as soon as I see the fabric, I already know what I want to um, create. I've actually ah. got a piece of fabric I'll go grab now just to show you. Yep. Um, <laughs> okay, we're back. Great. So, oh, look at that. An example of fabric. This is actually the wrong side. I'm just turning it the right way for you. So something that happens when when I, I go to a house or when I, I used to do this in fashion as well was I would see that fabric and, oh, my God, and my, my mind would just be filled with images and pictures and people. How beautiful is that? Yeah, stunning. So I've done a really gorgeous gown in that and then we may do um, like a, a camisole to go with it. So I am putting colour in there too. So this is a silk, but... 
yeah, just to give an example of how that is just stunning, stunning. And you've done a gown in it. A beautiful gown. Yeah. And then probably we'll probably do a camisole in it as well. Yep. It looks phenomenal. It's one of my favorite, favorite pieces. I saw my girlfriend Esther in it, who is our model. And um, I like got a tear in my eye because she, she just, I mean, she's such a goddess anyway. So she looked stunning. Just lit it up. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, one of my questions it was, here is... It was almost like, um, it was almost like, I felt like I had like a sex in the city moment, you know, when um, Carrie does the modelling um, and she's um, for the bridal shoot. And yeah. then, um, is it, who gives, who gives her the dress? Vera Wang yeah. gives her the dress that she models. When Esther put it on, I almost felt like saying, this dress belongs to you, you know? <laughs> 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 One of the things that um, fascinates me is, is like, so it, when, you, when you're designing and especially bespoke, you're, you're looking at the person who you're going to design for. Yes. And you're understanding them, them as, a, as a human beyond their, per, their personality as well as person. Yeah. And then what happens in your process from that point? Like, so, so you're somebody you've never met before, mm -hmm. you meet them and you chat with them, but then what, and, and let's just say they want something for day wear. Where does your mind go? So I design for the client, but as soon as they come to me, I look at them and I think, okay, if I was this woman and from what I've gauged already, what would, if I looked like her, what would I want to wear? And then I actually use that as the starting point. And then I'll put materials together, sketches together and present an initial concept. Obviously I won't do that until I've studied them and yes. got a good idea and also ask questions. Some clients don't want to wear, uh, they only want natural fibers. Some don't want color. So I, I do all of the basic questions first and then and then it's just sort of designing something that I feel like they'd look amazing in even if it's something that they wouldn't usually pick themselves and suggest, right. suggesting it to them and I do that a lot especially to my for my conservative clients and for my more mature woman I I, I get them to I, I try to show them it's having a fresh look and introducing that to them and getting them to fall in love with that. Yeah. I know um, what happens when, you, when you're dealing with someone who's more mature mm. is they have a, a sense of the things they've tried before. Yes. And they've already made decisions about them. And I know from um, going shopping, I used, to, I used to take people shopping um, so I'd take woman shopping and I'd be like, yep, try this on. Yep. Try this on. And they'd be like, no, that won't suit me. I don't care. Try it on, try yeah. it on, try yeah. it on, try yeah. it on. And um, <laughs> from that, I could actually see what wouldn't suit them. Not what they believed wouldn't suit them, mm. but I could see what wouldn't suit them. What would suit them, even though I had a preconceived notion. And then I would do the thing where I'd start playing and I'd start going, okay, well, that with this will make this. And this, if I add this to it, it does this. And start playing and creating that wardrobe defect. And always, I was going to say just about always, no, 100% of the time, they would end up finding their confidence in something that previously they would have never tried before. Mm. And the nuances of it bring them alive. Mm. And... Um, that's the genius of like you've got yourself of being a designer of being able to see something and as long as they'll come on the journey they can yeah, they, yeah. they step into that journey and all of a sudden the world's their oyster everything can come alive anything is possible and that's sort of a um that's how i like to have that's the mindset i love to have anyway when they first come to see me as well i'm i almost, I almost feel more like a body architect Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can make anything flattering 
for any shape woman. So that's never the problem. (laughs) So that actually helps. If you've got a good, a really great pattern, it's cut beautifully and flatters them. And when you're good at that, you can make any woman's body look slimmer, taller, and then... um, You can enhance enhance whatever it is they want to enhance. I mean... uh, yeah, and I guess that's a bit like makeup as well. You know, you create the illusion on your face. And, and sure. that's why, you know, I love, I, I, yeah, I never really have any problems because I'm creating to flatter them. And that was one of the biggest reasons why I got into design as well. Being a woman who has a naturally hourglass silhouette and the curves, I couldn't just go and buy off the rack easily. Gotcha. Um, and, and that's the thing with size guides as well. Um, there's no such thing as the the right the correct size, and everybody's body is different. I'll go on and buy pants in a off off the rack, but they're always too big in my waist, and I have to alter them because I like things. I've got a really tiny waist. I love things really fitted. Yep. Um, yep. So, then, so that also was the motivation to start designing too. I love um, it. W- and and to empower a woman and because I actually found a lot of fashion to be disempowering, even if you were slim and had an ideal figure, you still can't Mm -hmm. get what you, what you want and something that, you know, that you do feel attractive in. (laughs) I was going to say, I've, um, I don't know how many thousands of women I've met in my life and many of them in the fashion industry were absolute beauties and all the rest. And I've never met one woman ever that could say to me um, they wouldn't or that they were a hundred percent comfortable and confident mm. with who they were mm. um, as a, in their figure in mm. their figure or in their looks, they would all, you know, I could just have a bit more hair here or this eyebrow just does this funny little thing here or j- just the craziest things. And yeah. I don't know any men and even out of gay men that I know, I don't know any men that critique themselves that with degree. such venom that a woman critiques herself. Yeah. And I go, it's it, it blows me away that there's that much, um, there's that much that that much angst in the process for them. Yeah. And so, when somebody like yourself does what you do, it actually empowers them to be more of themselves. It's, it's not just about pretty clothes. It's actually about being um, empowering them to become more of who they truly are. And I think that's a real gift in, in design um, that people often forget. They just think that it's about clothes. Yeah, and it's not. I mean, that aspect of it is important and definitely needed now. Um, I've heard it all as well when I've got clients standing there telling me that they need a facelift and I'm looking at their face and I'm like, you're 65 and gorgeous like you know like I hope I look like that when I'm older and they're just like oh but but they never see it I think we're always our worst critics and life I think is definitely too short to think that about yourself and if you're comparing yourself to other women or uh, celebrities majority 100% of the photos are photoshopped yes and we're all people under our makeup. There is no such thing as the perfect looking, the perfect looking woman. And when you get to know someone and when you are just attracted to someone or you love their character, there's so much more to beauty than just the appearance. And for me as a designer, as an artist, that's, that's what I thrive on. You know, when I go to bed at night, I'm like, oh, she had the most beautiful face I've ever seen. I'm like, that person made me feel the best I've ever felt. They had the most incredible mind. And that's that's more how I that's how I function. That, well that's where beauty is. It's from within, you know. Like and yes, there is some amazing, you know, specimens yeah. in the world. A shape or a it's yeah. definitely an image as well. But yeah. it's, it's definitely showing women that, that it's beyond that too. So in a post COVID world. Yes. Um where, we, where, where you are actually, I think, already, or not quite, New Zealand was out and now it's back in because of a couple of tourists, but um, <laughs> it's, it's, let's call it post-COVID, but we're still not travelling, we're still not internationally travelling. 
um, how do you, or what will you do? And you've got your e-boutique. What will you do for the, let's say the woman in Los Angeles or the woman in um, New York or London mm-hmm. who says, Danny, make me a suit. Great. Well, as I said, anything is possible. I always live in that mindset. We have Zoom. I can Facebook video on uh, Messenger. And with the maternity dress that I was referring to mm-hmm. earlier, that client was in LA. We've mm-hmm. never created for a woman a gown without measuring her ourselves. We had the client send us her measurements. We sent, mm-hmm. we asked her what measurements, we requested the measurements that we needed. Yeah. She did it, sent them back to us. Video, photos of the materials, her trust in me that the fabric is soft cool. and beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, then, and then I sent it to the baby showers on the 28th. I sent it to LA last, oh, was it, I don't know, early, earlier in the week. It yeah. got there in three days. And um, yeah, so, you know, I don't look at it as a limitation. The only thing that is harder is obviously if I'm doing made to measure, it takes a bit longer. So I do, and then post postal time. So I do need, um, I do need a, I, I do need, I, I can't be like someone can't call me in the US and say, I want to wear your new dress to an event tomorrow. I, I couldn't. Yeah, yeah, that's not possible. But yeah. but given given a a time frame, mm. and they they say to you, well, I've got the Met Gala on this night, yes. <laughs> um, yeah. then you can say, right. we, need to start we need to start here um, for that event, and yeah, that that's um, I imagine also, and and certainly in places like New York and, and oh, certainly Los Angeles, but London and stuff like that as well, Edinburgh. Um, they would be working with a milliner as well. Um, and they're probably working with somebody who's making shoes for them as well. And so that you can actually bring a team together that makes something happen mm. for, for someone so they can get a complete look. Um, yeah. Which I think is like, that's a really powerful thing. And, and, as you say, you've got Zoom, you've got Facebook um, Messenger, um, and you've got the knowledge how to pull it together anyway. So, well, and it's making it easier for them and invite and making the process um, inviting. And mm-hmm. I don't see it as a limitation being overseas. It's just obviously the time frame for the event is the most crucial part. And I think that's why we really want the video footage next to the looks on the online shop because then they know exactly yep. how it fits and falls and that there is what they're going to get. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that is probably enough for all our listeners and viewers. It absolutely fascinating. I've loved it. Absolutely loved it. It, uh, it sparks all my memories of being in the fashion trade and what I oh, just loved about being in the fashion trade and Again, it's, it's about um, connecting with other humans, which is what we do designing a house as well. We connect with other humans. Um, and one of the things that you get to do, we, we get to create a, uh, something that's, that they go into and then you do as well. Yeah, people say to me, how did you go from fashion to, to designing homes? And I go, well, you live inside them. How hard could it be? Um, you know, you live inside clothes, you live inside houses, but you get to shift the mood with them through the season and through their events and their lives as well, mm. um, which I think is an absolutely beautiful journey to be able to take them on and be a part of that journey for them. Mm. Um, it, it's, it's gold. I want to thank you so much for your time and I'm looking so forward to getting this into post-production and, and, playing with it and then I want to do a couple of other catch-ups as well which would be really good one just before you um, launch the e-shop and also I want to do one where we introduce you in with somebody else as well because you've got the personality for it and you'll bring a lot to that conversation yeah I'd love it thank you thank you
Hi, this is Richard Petrie from the Architect Marketing Institute, and this is Richard's Magic Arrows. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. So the problem with winning great design projects is you have to sell, and no one likes selling. So the secret is don't sell. Be like a doctor, do your diagnosis first. And I'm going to give you a very simple tool today which is going to change everything. Don't sit there and talk to them and explain why you're the best. Ask questions. So the first question you're going to ask is what do you want? And then you're going to follow up with why. So what do you want? Why? What do you want? Why? And then you can follow up with why, why, why? You're going to peel the onion and find out what they really want. If there's anything that I've learned over the years and that I've actually become good at myself, it's finding people's hot buttons, finding the core driver that's driving their decision making and driving everything that they want. And you can do the same very quickly. Okay, so what do you want? Well, I want the best house in the street. Why? Well, I want to be seen as successful. Why do you want that? Well, as a kid, my family always treated me like the last kid in the family. So you want a house that makes the family realize how successful you've become. That's right. That's what I want. Now, that's very different from the best house in the street. You might design a house that makes the family envious different than you would design the best house in the street. What if you asked a different question of someone else? What do you want? Well, I want a blue, soft colors, uh, pastels. Why? Well, I want the place to be relaxing. Why? Well, I work a hard job and, and I get really stressed. I'm having problems with my health. So you want a sanctuary where you can come home and recharge. That's exactly what I want, a sanctuary. Now, designing a sanctuary where someone can come home and recharge might be very different from building a house that has blue and soft colors. But it's by asking these questions, what do you want and why, that you end up peeling back the onion and finding out not what the person says they want, but what they really want. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.